Hail and Well Med Adventurers, and welcome to the Audio Armory, an exploration of weaponry through the ages. I'm your local bard, Emily Cardamus. And I'm your local blacksmith, Liz Belts. Hey, Liz, happy Thanksgiving, because we're not going to have an episode next week, so this is technically our Thanksgiving episode. Yay! Aw, then I should have done stuff on things to kill turkeys with. Darn it. Well, you could probably kill turkeys with things that we're going to talk about in this episode, but... Um, what are you thankful for this year? Mm, I'm thankful for sharp, pointy things and friends. <laughs> Aw, please. I hope it's not putting the sharp, pointy things into your friends. No comment. Great. I'm thankful <laughs> for not dying. So just like, just putting that one out there for you. Yay. <laughs> no death. You are spared. Thanks. I'm worried still so what are we talking about this week liz this week we're gonna touch on a topic that i've never really researched before so this was kind of very involved for me but we're gonna talk about different weapon weapons from africa uh which is uh, oh bless them get it because like, I, I bless the reins except their weapons i bless the weapons down in africa somehow i knew this was gonna happen I just and thought I'm of still, that a second ago. I'm still not mentally prepared. <sighs> the pain. Anyways, yes. God forbid if it were to rain weapons in Africa. Um, That'd be bad. It would be very bad. There would be lots of blood. Um, probably. Hey, hot second tangent, though. Yeah. So I am a connoisseur of many musical artists, one of them being They Might Be Giants. And there is a song that they have, which is called The Pencil Rain. And it talks about how pencils rain from the sky and basically kill everybody. Because if a bunch of sharpened pencils were falling from the sky at terminal velocity, you would be torn to shreds. And sometimes I just think about that. Well, now I have a follow-up question. Yes. Would it be point first or eraser first? I don't know. And if it was eraser first, would it be lethal? No, but it would probably hurt a lot. Mm. Like, it's still a, a it's still an object coming at you at terminal velocity granted what is True. the terminal velocity of a pencil i do not know but science people go for it do tell the me math. what the at me on twitter uh <laughs> tell me what the terminal velocity of a pencil is tell me if pencil rain could actually kill you i feel like it would but um spears from like spear rain would definitely kill you we oh, would yeah. not bless that rain down in africa no we would not because bless you would die yeah no blessing of any sharp objects when it comes to raining. Right. Since we don't have to deal with raining pencils, let's cover the different weaponry that we have here in Africa, which is a strange variety, I've come to realize. Uh, during the medieval period, uh, North Africa became really heavily influenced by Arabic and Muslim invaders. So uh, while Central and West Africa tended to be smaller weaponry used more in daily life. Northern Africa was heavily influenced by these invaders and had uh, more wartime weaponry versus agricultural weaponry. Right. Things that were more used to hurt another person and less just used in sort of daily life. Correct. Right. Um, swords such as the Saif, uh, Kaskara, as well as Tunisian swords uh, which I probably butchered all three of those names. I apologize. <laughs> um, but all three of them were influenced by both Arabic and European invaders. 
Uh, hmm. Saif, uh, with its hooked pommel and its broad curved blade, resembled, uh, I don't know if anybody remembers, the Indian Tega. Uh, it has the... It's kind of like a cavalry sword. It's got the slight curve to it. Um, this weapon is essentially the same. It even mimicked the scabbard, which has the double rings. Hmm. Um, so that fabric could weave through it and it would just be wrapped around the waist versus a belt. Um, using... If you want to hear more about that weapon, go back and listen to our episode on Indian weapons. Which is episode insert number here. I'm not going to edit that in. Yeah, no. Um, just look for it. It's labeled Indian weapons. <laughs> yeah, it's it's easy enough to find. I yeah, mean, you'll find it. I believe and the, in you. You have the power and the strength. Then we have the Kaskara sword, which resembles the Crusader sword. It has a flat double-edged blade and is simplistically designed cruciform or cross-like hilt wrapped with mm. leather strips. Because of its almost perfect duplication, these swords were actually often confused with European broadswords. Uh, however, one main distinction that could sometimes be found on these swords was the engraving along the fuller. Some were heavily engraved with uh, quotes from the or verses from the Quran, um, which was obviously influenced by their Muslim neighbors. I don't have any exact verses. But a lot of it tended to be more like um, with the power of God and this, that, and the other for when they went into battle. For a hot second, did think you were going to say by the power of Grayskull, and I was going to be like, wait a second, that's not <laughs> By right the power of Grayskull. <laughs> uh, apologies, listeners, for me being me uh, this episode, but I'm still dying, so my brain is not quite firing on all cylinders. So this is going to be me for the next... 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, hopefully this won't last too much longer. Poor Emily Thanks has been us. dying for quite some time now, and I yeah. feel very bad. A month and a half? Ugh. That's great. It's the worst. Anyway. Moving on, we have the Tunisian's short swords, which were commonly reinvented rapier blades from Europe. Uh, this is due to commercial contact between them and Africa. However, this shortened rapier blade looks nothing like a traditional rapier at all. Um, it's used as a thrusting weapon, um, but it's just barely over two feet in length because it's been cut down. Hmm. Um, and it has an hourglass-shaped handle that tends to be a darker wood with inlaid brass. So it doesn't have the rapier basket hilt or anything. It's literally just a repurposed blade um, and given a little bit of a twist. Other swords like the semi. Uh, Takuba and Kenyan short swords had Indian influences in the blade design, but uh, took on its own look as a whole. Uh, semis, or semes, are only a foot in length, acting as a last resort weapon in both combat and in hunting. With no cross guard, this short sword wasn't the best in battle, obviously, but its swollen point allowed for more velocity in a swing in comparison to other African short swords. Um, Again, if you remember from our episode on Indian weaponry, uh, this weapon was inspired by the Kanda, which has mm. the swollen point. Yeah, the it's got weird that kind of weird, like, the bulb, bulb essentially. at the top for some reason. Yeah, um, and essentially the reason for it was to have more velocity in your swing. Though mm. there's a lot of debate as to whether or not that's actually 
a truth right or more so myth um i mean i'm sure there is science behind it but whether or not anybody's actually like put to light that research i don't know because you could google it right now and you'll get a bunch of different answers that are polar opposite from each other so is it a mysterious myth or a legendary legend it's aliens guys it's aliens at the same time everybody Takubas on the surface don't appear to be all that different from a short cavalry sword with its cruciform hilt because, well, that's almost exactly what it is. Uh, having only one edge, the weapon itself isn't all that unique from European weaponry. What makes this sword unique and known as the sword of the Hasua people is its beautifully decorated scabbard. Made from tool leather, the scabbard is swelled at the point drastically also in a leaf-like shape, and has large decorative tassels and beads. Basically, they just bedazzled the living crud out of their scabbers and made it look really neat mm-hmm. and jingly. Yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah, I know. Like, Fashion. it's bedazzling before bedazzling was a thing. Mm-hmm. They're tra- They're hipsters. They did it sure. before it was cool. These are the epiphanies I have. Bedazzling was never cool, but... Lies. It was briefly in the early 90s. No. When everybody had bedazzled pants. Well, I never did, so... Then you weren't... You weren't living. You weren't living your true 90s potential. The scabbard itself actually had uh, different burned or tool designs in the leather that would represent their families and community as well. So, um... Emily, I don't know if you personally remember this, but from the Oceanic Art History class that we took. Mm, I blocked that entire class out, so. All right. Well, let me give you a refresher. Uh, for different uh, Oceanic tribes, the they had tattoos where certain, like, so many lines and so many different, like, zags or whatever. Like, right. Was, it was essentially a language, mm-hmm. but represented families or clans. And it's basically the same in this case. Obviously, the designs are different, but the concept is the same core-wise. Unlike the Takabas, though, Kenyan short swords tended to have uh, simplistic scabbards made of plain leathers. This weapon, too, was very simplistic in design, with, again, no crossguard, a leather-wrapped grip, and a blade that tapered to a swell point, essentially giving you that kind of weird leaf shape again. This sword uh, was mostly an agricultural tool, and thus it didn't have any intricate or lavish design features. It was specifically designed for practicality and for harvesting. It very rarely was seen on a battlefield because, I mean, unless there was an invasion, why would you use your plants, plant tools to cut a person? That just seems like it would be bad. Mm-hmm. It's just poor. It's just a poor choice. Yeah, just yeah. use a rock yeah, you instead. Don't, you don't use your. You don't use like. You don't use your kitchen knife she- and war. You don't use some shearing. <laughs> yeah, you don't use some like shearing scissors to like go at a guy. I mean, unless you're a murderer and that's your thing. But like, unless please you're don't being attacked do that. while you're shearing a bush. Yeah, I mean, in which case, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, but if you have a choice, like don't it just doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense 
Actually, if you have a don't, if you have a choice, don't stab anybody. Well, yeah, that yeah, no, that's that's an even better point. Please take don't that point instead. <laughs> exactly. Moral of this whole episode: don't commit murder. Even though mm-hmm. the intro, I said. Hmm. Anyways, by now I'm sure that you've noticed most African weapons have uh, some short kind of bulbous or leaf-shaped design to the points, mm-hmm. um, whether it be on the swords or the scabbards themselves. This design also carries over into spear designs. Uh, both Sudanese-style spears and the Umkoto, for instance, have leaf-like heads. However, the builds for each are slightly different. Sudanese spears have wooden shafts, often wrapped in leather, where the spearhead attaches. Along the base of the head, though, it's straight. It's essentially a straight lot, uh, a straight rod, mm. um, which in comparison to the umkoto, it has a tapering spearhead that blends almost seamlessly into the shaft, and is wrapped both at where it's connected and towards the base, so it could be slung over the shoulder, and also has to essentially be. Uh, wrapped around the top in order to keep it from falling apart because the materials were one very thin and two once you threw it you that was it it was gone so you wanted to be sure it stayed in one piece yeah you wanted to be sure it stayed in one piece right oh until then otherwise you'd be like oh crud take the stick (laughs) yeah it's like throwing a bad paper airplane and it just kind of like like immediately nosedives the ground and it's like oh oops it's more like throwing a paper airplane that has like glitter inside of it and then you throw the paper airplane and the paper airplane goes crazy and then the glitter just explodes everywhere and no no one is no one is satisfied these are things i want to try out at work for a reason I would suggest you not do the glitter one because I don't want you to clean. have to clean it up. However, both weapons were typically used for throwing, as previously mentioned, uh, essentially either at the start of battle or in close combat more as a last resort. Because, again, these weapons were meant to be tossed, so they weren't the strongest built weapons in comparison to their swords. Um, they're very much disposable in a sense Mm -hmm. except for the heads those could be reused but you're not about to just be like hey wait hold up i have to go pick this up i I need to reuse it real quick it's like this it's like it's like when you see like in action movies and like you have like an archer like like fire like five million arrows and it's like dude you don't have five million arrows go get your other arrows back yeah it's like where where are all these arrows coming from at least hawkeye picked his back up and it's like oh sweet canonical reloading yeah thank you, movie i almost said thank you video game that's not what a movie <laughs> thank is. you video movie screen <laughs> uh lastly i wanted to save the more unique weapons um there are two very very odd <laughs> swords uh, especially this one known as the zarian sword uh, just under two feet in length this monster of a short sword has a very unique shape to it. So brace yourselves, everybody, as we go on this mental picture journey, as I paint for you. Um, essentially imagine the blade as two elongated diamond shapes, uh, one at the tip and one at the base. Both of them are connected by a slightly bulging center. So it's like 
they the article that I was reading referred to it as a waste, but no human body looks like that. <laughs> Just doesn't. Maybe like a skeleton. No, not even a skeleton looks like that. Maybe like a skeleton that you find in a dungeon. So a like dungeon a skeleton, like a monster dungeon skeleton, like I don't know, of, maybe. A, of a monster and not a human I don't because. Know. I mean, unless somebody Maybe just decided to play, weird. well, I mean, if somebody decided to just use bones as Legos and just build Maybe. it. Maybe, yeah. You don't know. No, but that raises more questions. <laughs> more than it gives me answers. It's not my job. My job <laughs> is not to provide answers. Okay, I'm going to let that one stew for a while. Uh, essentially, this weapon is a mini broadsword that could be both a hack or, more impractically, a stabbing weapon. Both obviously have very deadly results. Uh, the blackened wood grips were molded to fit the user's hand, and sometimes leather was wrapped around it too to basically act as more of a grip because uh, smoothened wood itself can slip, especially if it gets wet by, say, the blood of your enemies. Uh, so leather acted more as a... I guess a cushion for your fingers to sink into. Um, you ever think about how leather wraps for swords are basically like those little rubber wraps they sent out for Wii U remotes? Are you trying to tell me that, like, Wii U remotes are modern-day swords? Yes! <laughs> is this is this what you're trying to tell me right now? Yes. Because now... It's a game, it's a game theory. Because <laughs> now I'm just going back to... Remember that one time we tried to play Sonic in the Black Knight... And he killed a man. <laughs> and he killed a man? When Sonic the Hedgehog killed a man? It's prophecy. It's like... Oh. Maybe if we had let the Wii become what it was meant to be, we would be like... but We would circle back into medieval times with, like, swords, but they'd be, like, digital. Wait, wait, wait. So what were... What were Wii remotes supposed to become? <laughs> Uh, digital lightsabers lightsabers so yeah. logically speaking we weren't mm -hmm. supposed to get the nintendo switch right but instead we remotes were supposed to evolve from yes. a remote yes into essentially a lightsaber evolve is the wrong word I, i'm saying like so eventually someone would be able to develop a wii remote Emily. that is also a lightsaber and then those little rubber uh things that they sent out to everybody would have made sense. I suppose. Mm-hmm. You're just blowing my mind with all of this right now. Thanks. <laughs> I, hmm. You didn't, like, think... I don't know why I said thanks. I know, it's just like... <laughs> You're welcome? <laughs> thanks, you're welcome. Please. <laughs> Lastly, we have one of my absolutely new favorite swords. Uh, easily one of my top fives now that I found it. Um, it's known as the Flissa. This national sword of the... Oh, this is going to be hard. Cabi... Cabliz? Cabliz? It's spelled K-A-B-Y-L-E-S. I'm not even going to try to actually say that again. Um, but this tribe is... Uh, has this magical sword, which is over three feet in length and often has uh, very intricate brass engravings. But this sword, 
um, has no crossguard. The blade spine protrudes out in a straight line with the edge of the grip. So essentially the handle and the spine of the sword are a fluid straight line. There's no break in it. The edge of the weapon towards the base of it hooks outward, however. Uh, and then about a quarter of the way down the blade, tapers in a little bit, bulges back out again. It essentially makes like a slight wave and then comes into a thin needle point. It was the first wave at a football game. Mm-hmm. Or it's, well... Predates back to this sword. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how it works. The point of this weapon is basically a thin needle. So the design allowed for easier thrusting than the Zarian sword, um, which was basically a really fat... Uh, I don't know. It's just like a really fat point. There's no good way to describe it. It was You're sewing some really big t-shirts with it. Yeah. It's a really big needle. Mm-hmm. Makes it's like... everyone will be here all week. <laughs> While this sword was good for thrusting, it was also good for slashing, given the fact that it had a little extra strength along the spine. Uh, the pommels took on a very unique, unique shape as well, which started kind of this trend in other weapons. Um, early on, it had the appearance of various animal heads, and some even had human head designs of ancestors. So you could have your grandma on your weapon as you go beat up a dude in That's war. That's metal as hell. I know, right? Like, here, grandma, you're going to go kill this man for me. Like Thanks, you said grandma. you would. <laughs> Thanks, grandma. <laughs> you rock. <laughs> a lot of that kind of design work you could see, especially in their sculptural works, um, starts to carry over into... Uh, pommel designs for weapons after like after like the mid 1800s especially it kind of started early on but um historically we don't have a lot of artifacts intact it's assumed but you can't you can't really say for certain because we don't have the information right a lot of conjecture, not a lot of bingo fact. bongo, and that would be all of my information on Africa for today. Um, at some point, however, if any of these weapons have spiked your interest, but um, uh, let me know, and I could go back revisit, and we can cover a weapon more specifically. Hey, uh, Liz, uh, do you have a blacksmith tip of the week? I do. My advice is don't be afraid to take your time on something, uh, even if you feel like you're working very slowly. Uh, personally, I just over, I just, I just completed a sword commission for somebody, and it took me well over a year to complete. And part of me is still beating myself up over it, but it's one of those things where you have to realize that you sometimes, in order to do something right, you have to take it a little slow. And you don't want to overwork yourself either, which we're all guilty of at one point or another. But if you can help it, try and step back a little bit and be like, all right, maybe I should take a little break. Or maybe I should just, you know, tone the speed down a smidge, just so I don't go completely bonkers. There you go. Well, that's going to do it then for this week's episode of Audio Armory. 
Um, we'd like to thank Samantha Hogan for her intro and outro music. You can find or our intro and outro music, but she made it. Um, you can find her work at samanthahogan.com or on Twitter at shogan underscore composer. You can find us on Twitter. We are at audio armory cast. I am at corrupted gem. Liz is at Liz belt. That's Liz with two Z's. Um, you can email us for questions, comments, concerns, topic suggestions, or you can just tweet at us. But if you do want to email us, it is audioarmorycast at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter, so you can like rate, review, and subscribe and all the things that podcasts say that you should do. Uh, did I say Twitter and not iTunes? I believe you did. We're on iTunes, too. <laughs> don't sub- I mean, you can, like, I don't know if you could, like, rate, review, subscribe on Twitter. Uh, but do that thing on iTunes. Yeah. Um, also, if you are a person who likes books and things and cool art and knives, which I hope you would be considering the fact you're listening to a podcast about swords by an artist and a blacksmith, um, mm. Liz has work in a zine that is opening up, has just opened up pre-orders. It is called Forged Zine. It is a a collection of artwork, short stories, and photography um, about women and women-aligned people uh, wielding swords and stuff, uh, which is probably the the, the not most elegant way of putting it, but here we are. Um, And what's the URL where you could find that to pre-order it, Liz? Uh, If you go to forgezine.storeenvy.com, you can find... A variety of different options. You can get the bundle, which will get you the the paper version, the digital version, and you can also get some stickers and some prints. Um, You can also get these things individually, too, if you would like. Um, It's kind of a your preference sort of thing. Say you want to have a bunch of stickers of swords and a really neat print done by one of uh, the fellow artists that have worked on this. Uh, I mean, go for it. Or if you want to buy, like, 20, for some reason, like, 20 paper ones, I mean, go for it. I'm, mm-hmm. I am I ain't going to stop you, but then you're going to become, like, one of those math problems that you learn about in right. grade school. Um, is, is this for charity or is this for profit? I believe this is for profit, but if I make okay. any profit, I do intend to donate to a local animal shelter known as uh, the uh, Angels for Animals which I took a donation for my birthday and donated to them because I still really want a dog and can't adopt uh, for a handful of reasons at the, at the moment. Well, so, so, so go, so go buy this thing, go support uh, independent artists. And in Liz's case, support her donating money to animals. Yeah. To buy, so, buy books on swords for dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and until next time, I have been and always will be your illustrious bard, Emily Cardamus. And I will forever and always be your local blacksmith, Liz Belts. And don't throw rocks at birds. <laughs>